Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 65, recorded on May 21st, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Well, we got a lot to cover this week. Uh, so this might be a little longer than normal. Um, lots of stuff going on at the Bitcoin conference in Miami, uh, this week, uh, and, uh, some, some other, uh, interesting news items that I wanted to share. And so without further ado, we'll jump right in. So we'll start with the market update. Uh, stocks turned lower Friday after the White House and congressional Republicans reached an impasse in negotiations on the debt ceiling, and talks were broken off with no immediate plans to resume, but the declines were mild, suggesting the markets still believe a deal will be reached. There were also fresh signs of weakening consumer spending and poor quarterly results from Foot Locker, whose shares plunged 27% after the company said lower tax refunds and higher prices for gas, food, and rents are hurting its customers' ability to spend on discretionary goods. High-priced sneakers, that is, I guess. And shares of regional banks tumbled after Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said more mergers might be needed. But the three major stock market indexes scored gains for the week, with the Nasdaq Composite climbing 3% for its best weekly showing since March, while the S&P 500 jumped 1.6%, and the Dow Jones average added 0.4%. Looking ahead, investors will be watching the U.S. debt ceiling showdown again as the threat of a government default of some sort becomes more real unless an extension or agreement is hammered out in Washington. Analysts warn potential negative scenarios include Congress raising the debt ceiling just past the point the U.S. Treasury can make timely payments on its obligations, near-term debt service prioritization over other domestic payments, a short default on coupons, and a prolonged and damaging delay in debt service. UBS warned that the initial shock of moving past the so-called X date for making payments on time would have non-linear effects that grow, particularly in the payment prioritization scenario with falling government expenditures. Against that uncertain backdrop, several Federal Reserve board members are on the speech circuit next week, and the minutes of the last FOMC meeting will be released. So it should be a wild week next week. All right, jumping into the Bitcoin news for this week. Um, if you followed it, uh, the Bitcoin conference was uh, for 2023 was held in Miami this week. Um, and I just picked up a few interesting uh, pieces that I thought were interesting. Obviously, it was a long conference, lots of uh, different aspects to it, but uh, these seem to be uh, noteworthy highlights. So uh, we'll start with this first one here, and this is from Bitcoin Magazine. They're actually the sponsor of the of the uh, conference, uh, and so this first article here is uh, was dated May nineteenth, and it's entitled "Robert Kennedy Jr. Makes Campaign Debut at Bitcoin Twenty Twenty Three." Quote: Free money is as important as free expression. 
Robert F. Kennedy Jr. made his first public appearance as a presidential candidate at the Bitcoin 2023 conference today, sharing his own experiences with Bitcoin, warning about how technology is enabling government totalitarianism around the world, and describing how he would protect the rights of Bitcoiners if elected president. As president, I will make sure that your right to hold and use Bitcoin is inviolable, Kennedy said. I'm an ardent defender and lifelong defender of civil liberties, and Bitcoin is both an ex exercise and a guarantee of those freedoms. Kennedy told the crowd that he was first inspired by Bitcoin as a critical freedom technology after learning about how it was used to circumvent financial restrictions during the Canadian trucker protest last year. None of these lawful and peaceful protesters had violated any law, but suddenly they found that they could not access their money, their bank accounts to pay their mortgages or feed their families, he recalled. When I witnessed this devastating use of government repression, I realized for the first time how free, to, free money is as important as free expression. Kennedy has publicly expressed his support for Bitcoin since May 2023, acknowledging its separation from other cryptocurrencies and indicating that legislators should support its development rather than hinder it, as with regulations like the Biden administration's proposed tax on energy used by miners. On stage, he reinforced his distaste for such regulations and he outlined the steps his administration would take to drive Bitcoin innovation in the U.S. First, I will defend the right of self-custody of Bitcoin and other digital assets, he said. Second, I will uphold the right to run a node at home. Third, I will defend use-neutral, industry-neutral regulation of energy. Fourth, I will make sure that the United States remains the global hub of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. I will reverse the government's growing hostility toward the industry. Finally, he said he would look closely at whether individuals like Ross Ulbricht, the founder of Darknet Bitcoin-based marketplace Silk Road, who received a double life sentence in 2013, were prosecuted for actual crimes or as a means to crack down on crypto. I will consider pardoning them, and I will act very quickly to do so, Kennedy added. Kennedy launched his Democratic primary bid shortly before signaling support for the Bitcoin industry on Twitter and announced his Bitcoin 2023 appearance. His public stance on issues like vaccine mandates and climate change have contradicted those of most mainstream Democrats, and he has positioned himself as a party outsider. As of this writing, he sits in second place, though trailing by a significant margin to Joe Biden in national polling average. At Bitcoin 2023, Kennedy clarified that he is not personally invested in Bitcoin and announced that his presidential campaign would be the first in history to accept donations via the Lightning Network. We are now living in this age of turnkey totalitarianism, and our job is to try and build and fortify democratic institutions at the same rate, he concluded. The biggest, most important one on the horizon is Bitcoin because it can't be manipulated. And, uh, well, my comment on this is, of course, I don't trust any politicians, but, uh, you know, uh, I suppose uh, if you had to choose, um, you'd probably want someone that supports Bitcoin uh, and freedom and uh, is against totalitarianism. There might be some other aspects of his platform, like gun control or some other things that some of the hardcore libertarians, anarcho-capitalists and Bitcoiners might not appreciate about Kennedy, but uh, he certainly seems to get it. And uh, certainly if I had to choose between Joe Biden and, and Robert Kennedy, I'd probably choose Robert Kennedy. 
Uh, but again, you know, you can't ever really trust politicians. They say what they want to say to get elected, usually. Um, but still, uh, we'll take any allies we can get. So moving on, the next uh, article here also from Bitcoin Magazine. This was also posted on May 19th, uh, entitled Big Short Author Michael Lewis on the Financial Crisis, FTX, and Bitcoin's Freedom from Intermediaries. Best-selling author and journalist Michael Lewis, known for writing The Big Short, Moneyball, and The Blind Side, offered his perspective on the current financial landscape and the rapidly changing world of cryptocurrency on stage today at Bitcoin 2023. When I first encountered the idea of being able to use the blockchain technology to disintermediate financial intermediaries, I thought, thank God, Lewis said of his realizations when first re researching Bitcoin. There are lots of unnecessary hands touching money when financial transactions occur. They've just been kind of hard baked into the system. As the author of The Big Short, Lewis outlined the fundamental inequalities and short-sighted policies of the contemporary financial system that led to the economic crisis of 2007 and 2008. At Bitcoin 2023, he acknowledged how Bitcoin is designed as an escape from the problems that caused that crisis. If you go back to Satoshi's original paper, you know, line one, paragraph two, you eliminate the need for a trusted financial intermediary, Lewis said. Clearly, the very beginning of the spirit of the enterprise is mistrust of existing financial institutions, well-earned mistrust on the back end of the financial crisis. Across his books and news reporting, Lewis has been praised for his ability to condense complicated financial concepts into digestible prose and demonstrate systemic issues through the experiences of the individuals within them. This skill set makes him uniquely qualified to digest and interpret the emerging cryptocurrency ecosystem, which experienced unprecedented turmoil last year with the implosion of numerous crypto projects, most notably FTX. At Bitcoin 2023, he discussed his next book and movie project, which will focus on FTX, and described some of the insight he gained from spending time with former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried before and after its collapse. Not in a million years did I think I was going to write about Sam Bankman-Fried, Lewis recalled, adding, adding that he was first asked to meet with Bankman-Fried by a friend on Wall Street and found himself intrigued by his unique personality. There's so obviously the potential for a great movie in it, you want to let people know it's out there. Lewis was joined on stage by Arthur Hayes, the co-founder of cryptocurrency exchange BitMEX. Hayes asked Lewis if he owned Bitcoin, and Lewis quipped that it was in the FTX bankruptcy. Hayes and Lewis also touched on the current banking crisis, with Lewis sharing the view that things have not really changed in the institutional system since 2008, that if anything, things are worse for retail investors. It seems inherently unstable right now, he said. You essentially created a handful of institutions that are too big to fail, and everyone knows their deposits are insured, so no other institution can actually compete in that environment. It's not going to end until there's some structural reform. So uh, other than being there to chill his new book, he did have some pretty good commentary. And uh, actually, I read The, the Big Short. It was a pretty good book. Um, didn't watch the movie, though. Um, so I'm going to probably have to do that one of these days. Okay, moving on to the next uh, article. Uh, this is from 
Coin Telegraph, uh, and it's entitled. Uh, sorry, and this is uh, dated May twentieth. Strike moves global headquarters to El Salvador, expands to sixty-five countries, and this was another announcement from the Bitcoin conference. Strike, a Chicago-based Bitcoin payment provider, expanded its services to 65 countries in parallel to relocating its global headquarters to El Salvador. Before its expansion, the mobile app was operational only in the United States, El Salvador, and Argentina. According to Jack Mahlers, the CEO and founder of Zap, Strike's parent company, the expansion drive aims to counter the, quote, clouded world of crypto exchanges and hidden unregistered licensing regimes and all 1,000 different coins. Speaking to Fortune, Mallers revealed that relocating its headquarters to El Salvador <clears throat> was a response to the growing anti-crypto regulatory sentiments in the United States. On one hand, regulations prevent Strike from offering its service in New York. On the other hand, El Salvador introduced crypto-inclusive regulations to attract technological innovations in the region. <clears throat> During the discussion, Mahler spoke about El Salvador's success in establishing Bitcoin as legal tender. He believes merchant adoption wasn't what was defining success. Instead, he weighed El Salvador's Bitcoin adoption success in terms of other factors, including increased tourism. Strike will initially allow users in the new global markets to only receive Bitcoin. However, Mallers revealed plans to launch new features, including a debit card by the end of the year. For markets outside the U.S., Strike will enable U.S. dollar payments via Tether. <clears throat> Two years ago, People would have made fun of me for our headquarters in El Salvador to launch product for 3 billion people. But now Coinbase is fighting with Gary Gensler, he said. Who's laughing now? Mahler's concluded. Strike and crypto exchange Bitfinex were among the first crypto companies to bag operational licenses in El Salvador. El Salvador's digital asset service provider license allows Bitfinex to facilitate the issuance and secondary trading of assets with clearly defined rights and obligations in the jurisdiction. And some, some people panned um, Jack Mahler's because he <clears throat> uh, talked about a lot of stuff last year at uh, the Bitcoin conference 2022 that didn't really come to fruition. Um, he canceled the the credit card or debit card that he was coming out with and and um, the uh, POS system uh, adoption, I think National Cash Register, NCR, they were going to supposed to be doing something with them to uh, uh, create more demand, I guess, from merchants uh, for, you know, um, uh, through the POS system deployment uh, so to have more uh, merchants uh, able to take lightning payments through strike. Um, that didn't happen, but, um, you know, I'd have to say overall, you know, uh, the company's moving in the right direction. It's still Bitcoin only. They still have the, the right, um, um, thesis, um, and, uh, in ethic, the Bitcoin, sort of ethic and um you know uh i think moving headquarters offshore is smart given kind of the uncertain regulatory regime in the u.s and and of course the uh the real demand is uh, is is all the unbanked people in in the global south that uh that are facing authoritarian 
dictators and, and uh, hyperinflating currencies. So uh, I'm sure they'll continue to be successful. I'm a pretty happy user of Strike. I use it every every two weeks. Part of my paycheck goes in there, buy some Bitcoin, and I move it to cold storage. So it's uh, it's kind of like my retirement savings um, plan now. So we wish them luck. And then uh, this last piece uh, of coverage is from Yahoo Finance. This was also uh, uh, part of the Bitcoin conference. Uh, this was posted on May 19th, and it's entitled Biden's 30% tax, which we've talked about before here on this channel, uh, on Bitcoin miners, quote, isn't going to happen, says Cynthia Lummis. Okay. The 30% excise tax that President Joe Biden has proposed for Bitcoin miners, that isn't going to happen, said Senator Cynthia Lummis. She was speaking to Chamber of Digital Commerce founder and CEO Perry Ann Boring during a fireside chat at the Bitcoin 2023 conference in Miami. Boring had just brought up the possible tax and how it might affect not only Bitcoin mining, but also have unintended consequences for the country's national security. Lummis went on to say um, that miners can mine anywhere, adding that opportunities in this sector exist all over the world. She said, however, that allowing Bitcoin mining to proliferate in the states is not only a matter of national security, but also an issue of energy security. Touting that Wyoming has large mining, oil and gas industries alongside significant amounts of solar and wind production, Lummis told the crowd at the conference that Bitcoin miners are well positioned to make use of the state's excess energy. Bitcoin is cleaning up the environment, she said. According to the Wyoming senator, however, it hasn't been an easy mission to convince lawmakers about the benefits of Bitcoin mining. One of the things that is holding back our ability in Congress to legislate in this area is the fear that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are being used for criminal activities, Lemus said, adding that there are also issues at the state level. One example, she said, is Texas's decision to cap miners' ability to earn energy credit. These remarks come amid a Biden administration report at the start of May on the effects of imposing a 30% excise tax on cryptocurrency mining operations in the United States. It concluded that the tax would be in the best interest of American communities and the environment. The so-called Bitcoin senator remarked that the current infrastructure bill, which includes the digital asset mining tax, defines brokers in such a way that includes miners. If approved, that would require miners to send tax directly to the IRS. That's left the industry feeling like there's a complete disconnect between it and U.S. lawmakers, said the senator on Friday. The panel ended with Lummis urging Bitcoiners to participate in groups that advocate for the world's largest cryptocurrency as part of the U.S. economy, adding that they should contact their representatives. And I think I talked about this last week, maybe um, when I first heard about this 30% excise tax. And uh, there's probably going to be a lot of pushback against it. Um, with a divided Congress, it's, it's unlikely that, uh, that there would be agreement. Um, enough to, to push something like that through. But if it did, uh, that would just mean all the miners will move out of the country. In fact, uh, I think, uh, I couldn't remember last week, but it was, I think, one of the largest or second largest mining companies is, is uh, setting up shop in uh, the United Arab Emirates. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of the mining companies are looking at their exposure to the U.S. and wanting to make sure that they have 
uh, you know, uh, diversification in of geography in case, because uh, obviously a 30% mining tax would make their business, you know, not only unprofitable, but uh, they might actually go out of business. So the point is, is that mining can happen anywhere in the world, wherever, uh, you know, jurisdictions are friendly towards that. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of part of the game theory playing out. China kicked out all the miners. They all went somewhere else. Hash rate dipped for a while. Then it went back up to all-time highs and it continues to climb, meaning that the network is strong. People are, miners are, you know, earning not only uh, block rewards, but, but fees too. Um, and uh, it's a profitable business. So uh, somebody will do it and uh, there will be jobs associated with it and uh, can also uh, consume stranded energy, which, which is a huge benefit. Um, so um, it doesn't really affect the network, but it's, it's sad if the U.S. goes down that path because uh, they'll be turning their back on, you know, something that's, uh, you know, could really provide a lot of jobs and, and uh, you know, help the country, uh, you know, lead the future. So that's a wrap on conference topics. I'm sure there was a lot of other stuff there, but uh, this is the stuff that I picked up that I thought was interesting. Moving on, there was a lot of talk also last week about Ledger, which is a um, hardware wallet uh, company, um, about a firmware update and maybe some new service that they're offering that would require you to KYC your uh, yourself, and then they can store your private key in three parts in different locations on third-party service providers and that um, caused everybody uh, in the um, space to freak out that there's a back door and then people started you know posting memes of ledger wallets with uh, you know use your facebook password to log in uh, and other memes people smashing their ledgers and uh, panicking and buying other hardware wallets Etc. Etc. So um, anyway, we'll go through this article and talk a little bit about um, why multi-signature is uh, good to have. Uh, this is one of perhaps a use case I didn't think about, but one that you would want to have. Um, you know, two out of three uh, signatures if if you know your key were ever compromised. So the article uh, is titled is ledger's new bitcoin key recovery feature safe experts have doubts when ledger a paris-based hardware wallet maker announced a new key recovery feature this week it thought the move would be popular allowing others to recover their private keys much like you can recover your password if you forget it would help onboard customers the company believed potential crypto users are known to be turned off by crypto's unforgiving self-custody ethos not your keys, not your coins. But a key recovery service would offer more comfort. Immediately, the launch of Ledger Recover provoked criticism. Opponents say that the product isn't compatible with the concept of a hardware wallet, which promises to ring fence private keys from prying eyes. For a hardware wallet to transmit the seed or shares that can reconstruct the seed over the internet fundamentally alters the security threat model of a hardware wallet, said Pavel Rusnak, co-founder of Satoshi Labs, which makes a competing hardware wallet, Trezor. 
In fact, this change is so significant that I'm not convinced it's a viable solution for a hardware wallet at all. The opt-in update available for Nano X models allows Ledger owners to use a service named Ledger Recover and share their seed phrase, a sequence of words used to recover a lost wallet with a set of trusted custodians, namely Ledger, CoinCover, and EscrowTech. They will store users' encrypted backups for a monthly fee. According to the company, this allows users to restore access to their crypto if they forget or lose their seed phrases. By using the service, they would be able to ask Ledger for help, prove their identity, and get their private key restored for them. The critics worry that both firmware update and the whole recovery setup does not look safe. Ledger insists that things are secure as ever. Coindesk looked into how the new feature is supposed to work as described by Ledger itself and asked experts what the potential security concerns here may be. According to Philip Costigan, Ledger Communications lead, the new feature does not mean the device itself communicates with custodians over the internet as the Ledger wallets themselves have no Wi-Fi or any other internet connection capability. To transfer encrypted parts of the seed to custodians, users need to connect their Ledger wallet to their phone with a Ledger app via Bluetooth, Costigan said. The same mechanism is used for approving transactions when Ledger owners want to spend crypto from their wallets. Here is how Costigan explains the process. First, users verify their identity with Onfido and Tessie, the two providers Ledger employed for this task via Ledger's mobile app. Ledger, CoinCover, and EscrowTech don't review or hold people's IDs. It's done by the technology of the two providers I mentioned above who are experts here, Costigan said. After that, the Ledger device gets a prompt to create a backup. Then a backup is created, encrypted, divided into shards using the Shamir's secret sharing technique and transferred to Ledger. CoinCover and EscrowTech, Costigan said. Each custodian gets to keep one shard, which are useless on their own. All encryption, fragmentation, and decryption of your secret recovery phrase happens on your ledger on the secure element, so the only thing that leaves the secure element chip and only after your consent are the encrypted shards, he added. Costigan also underscored that the hardware wallet itself does not store any user's identity information on it. When a user requires a recovery, any two out of three custodians will send fragments back to your Ledger device, reassembling them to build your private key, the FAQ page on Ledger website says. The news of the update provoked a storm of criticism from the crypto community, with accusations that Ledger's new offering contradicts its past statements about keeping private keys off the internet. In particular, crypto Twitter piled on the tweet Ledger's official account posted in November assuring users of the safety of their devices. How can you prove to us the customers that the private keys on the device are not leakable via the firmware update in case someone at the company wants this? A Twitter user known as at S. Radud asked on November 15, 2022. Hi, your private keys never leave the secure element chip, which has never been hacked. The secure element is third-party certified and is the same technology as used in passports and credit cards. A firmware update cannot extract the private keys from the secure element, Ledger responded. Users pointed out that the new update does almost exactly what Ledger says they wouldn't do. There is a caveat. During the recovery process, as Ledger describes it, it's not the private key itself that's getting extracted, but the seed phrase encoding it. 
This still sent a worrying signal to the users. What they considered safely stored in a little citadel of their hardware wallet now can leave it and travel elsewhere. What if Ledger decided to just extract and collect user seed phrases without any protection? If you can update the firmware to instruct the secure element to encrypt, shard, and distribute the seed, what stops you from updating the firmware next week to just extract the unencrypted seed? User at New Wage Crypto asked. Technically speaking, it has always been possible to write firmware that facilitates key extraction. You have always trusted Ledger not to deploy such firmware, whether you knew it or not. Ledger responded on Wednesday in a tweet that has since been deleted. <laughs> But the archived copy of the thread shows that the tweet, which immediately triggered a new wave of outrage, was followed by a clarification. For any update to happen, users must manually approve it. Every firmware update requires a pin unlock device approval. This is the final line that makes it impossible for us to extract your keys, even if we had your device, another now deleted tweet from the company said. However, the question still linger. What does Ledger's firmware actually can do and can users still trust their devices? Crypto developer and researcher Lawrence E. Day told Coindesk that the core of a problem here is that Ledger's code is closed source, so nobody can review what the update is actually doing. Blockchain security expert Christopher Allen shared similar considerations on Twitter. One of my concerns with the new Ledger Recover service is that they appear to be sharding via Shamir's secret sharing, but doing so in a proprietary way and possibly in a naive fashion. We don't know. It is not open source, Alan tweeted. For Day, the most worrying part of the situation is an apparent breach of trust between Ledger and its users, triggered by the contradictions in the firm's statements. I guess the thing that bugs me here is that there's a breach of a covenant that seeds would never leave the secure element chip, even though it's always been possible to do that through firmware, and that this remains an option for other hardware wallet suppliers too, Day told Coindesk via direct messages and Twitter. Another issue has to do with privacy. Hardware wallets are typically viewed as a way to store your crypto anonymously without attaching your name to it. However, users who opt in for the Recover update will have their identities linked to their crypto wallets, making the experience closer to using a centralized exchange with Know Your Customer checks. Head of content for another competitor hardware wallet maker foundation, going by the nickname of Seth for Privacy, tweeted that a setup ledger is offering means of a whole set of concerns for users, including data leaks, hacks, and government censorship or surveillance. Not only can leaks or hacks occur, the sales of data on users of Ledger would be extremely valuable now and in the future, and any of the authorized third parties could decide to leverage your data as an income stream at any moment, he wrote. If in the future hackers breach on Fido or Tessie, they might get a list of Ledger users who are likely to own large amounts of crypto. The wallet itself costs about $150 to buy, along with the wealth of their personal data, Seth added. Ledger has been breached in the past. In July 2020, information of 272,000 users was stolen from the firm with a series of phishing attacks on users following that breach. Law enforcement agencies, too, might use the setup to get access to Ledger users' crypto, Day said. The three organizations that will hold the shards are known, so they're liable to get a visit from the feds. So you could argue that by enabling Recover, you're turning your wallet hot, even if there are legal steps in between, he said. In crypto terms, hot wallets are connected to the internet, cold or not. 
There's also a danger that, however secure the offered setup is, any system can be gamed, Satoshi Labs' Rosnack said. There's always the risk that someone could use generative AI technologies to impersonate me, obtain my seed shares, and ultimately reconstruct my seed. Some commentators on Twitter also voiced concerns that while the feature is optional now, in the future, Ledger might make it obligatory for all devices for regulatory reasons or else. Using trusted custodians is nothing new for crypto. In fact, everyone who keeps their coins on an exchange is trusting the exchange like it's a bank. But hardware wallets embody the be-your-own-bank ethos of Bitcoin that you don't have to trust an intermediary to keep your money safe. This means keeping your keys on your crypto to your crypto on a device that only you control, preferably disconnected from the internet to avoid the risk of hacking. But this approach requires self-discipline that might feel excessively burdensome to many people. Ledger's new service attempts to give others users some peace of mind, allowing them to recover lost crypto wallets like they would recover stolen credit cards or forgotten passwords, although in a much more sophisticated fashion. In this sense, Ledger Recover is a kind of compromise between the autonomy of cold storage and the comfort of custodial one. Your crypto is on your device, but if you lose it, there's someone to restore it for you. The question is, do Ledger users want that compromise? I get the point of why you'd want to offer Recover as a UX improvement to mom and pop, but it feels like a comms screw-up. Mom and pop aren't using these devices anyway, Day said, adding that hardware wallets users are by default a more sophisticated public. Ledger, however, believes that moms and pops might not, might just not know they want it yet. You're saying this is not what customers want. Actually, this is what future customers want, Ledger CEO Pascal Gautier said during a Twitter Spaces session on Tuesday. This is the way that the next hundreds of millions of people will actually onboard to crypto. <clears throat> so, uh, first of all, if you, if it's, I think it sounds like it only affects the Ledger uh, Nano X or sorry, the Ledger um, uh, X, um, which is, you know, I think that's their most advanced model of um, hardware wallet, Nano X. Um, if you have a Nano S, I, I don't think it's affected by this. It's also an optional firmware update and you have to pay for the service. So um, you can always decline. Um, of course, it then raises the question of then do you just stop doing firmware updates um, and maybe maybe that's what you do and as long as your wallet continues to function uh, you should be fine uh, the other thing and uh, what i talked about earlier before i went through the article is um, this is a, a perfect reason why you want to have a multi-signature so two out of three um, so for example i use unchained capital they hold a key. I hold two keys. One of them is a is a treasure. The other one's a, a ledger, um, actually Nano S. Um, but it takes two out of the three keys to move the coins. So if for whatever reason, one of my keys was compromised. Um, I still have um, the other one, the other two uh, that um, I can use to move the coins. So. Um, uh, when I read through all this initially, I was like, well, that's exactly why you want to have that that's an example of how one of your keys could get compromised and so um now there are other providers there's lots of other providers um you know cold card is a very popular one and so i mean if, if you're really uncomfortable and you have all of your you know if you have a ledger nano x and you have all your coins on it uh, it might be 
you know, you don't necessarily have to uh, move everything to a new hardware wallet and throw it away, but you might want to consider a multi-signature setup uh, at a minimum. Um, and then, uh, yeah, don't opt into the firmware update. But I think that the paranoia about uh, what if there's a, an innocuous firmware update that puts some kind of thing on the wallet that allows them to access your keys is is, uh, is concerning, certainly. And uh, if you really want to be safe, you want to have multi-sig, I think, is kind of my conclusion from, from going through all that. Okay, next article here we're going to go through is, uh, this is from Cointelegraph. This was just posted today, kind of an interesting one. Wife finds husband's Bitcoin stash amid divorce proceedings. The divorce proceedings of a New York couple took a turn after a forensic accountant helped track down the husband's 12 Bitcoin stash, which he intended to hide from his wife. The couple in question were married for 10 years, but the man's wife suspected that her husband did not reveal all his assets, which would get split between the two following their divorce. The housewife, addressed pseudonymously as Sarita, revealed to CNBC that her husband was earning $3 million annually, which was not reflective of his declared assets. The woman appointed a forensic accountant who eventually found that her husband failed to declare 12 Bitcoin worth roughly $500,000 stored in an undisclosed crypto wallet. Having no clue about the Bitcoin investment, Sarita stated, it was never even a thought in my mind because it's not like we were discussing it or making investments together. It was definitely a shock. As a result, the woman's husband will have to pay part ways with some of his Bitcoin holdings. Tracking crypto investments is easier than its fiat counterparts, considering that blockchain technology preserves all transactions and does not allow external factors to modify or delete entries. Um, contrastingly, one of the latest crypto innovations, the metaverse, has become a popular place for couples worldwide to tie the knot. <laughs> Since 2021, countless couples have gotten married in metaverse-based virtual venues, allowing family members and friends to witness the joyous occasions. It's hmm. interesting. Uh, yeah, they don't go into details about how he was able to figure it out, but uh, I would imagine that it would start with uh, wire transfers out of your bank account to a crypto exchange. Uh, and then from there, it'd be pretty easy to figure out uh, where everything is once you once you know um, where the where the dollars went into, but uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, next article here is also from Coin Telegraph, and this is just an update on ordinals, which is the um, uh, NFTs of Bitcoin. Uh, this was published on May twentieth. Bitcoin ordinals total mintage fees increased 700% from April, according to a report. So according to a report compiled by a Dune Analytics contributor, the total network fees paid for the minting of Bitcoin ordinals reached 1,414 Bitcoin, or 38.2 million as of May 20th, representing an increase of 700% from April 20th and 831% from April 1st respectively. An analysis shows that despite continued interest in Bitcoin non-fungible tokens, most Bitcoin ordinals have shifted to text-based inscriptions compared to with a somewhat equal balance of text and image inscriptions from February to April. 
as explained by cross-chain wallet BitKeep, Bitcoin Ordinals is a numbering system that assigns a unique number to each individual SAT, Satoshi, or one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin, enabling its tracking and transfer. Combined with the inscription process, which adds an additional layer of data to each Satoshi, this, this allows users to mint unique digital assets on the Bitcoin blockchain. In contrast to traditional NFTs, which are built using smart contracts and hosted on solutions such as the interplanetary file system, BitKeep developers explain that ordinals reside entirely on the Bitcoin blockchain and do not require a sidechain or separate token. In January 2023, Web3 developer Roadarmor released the Bitcoin Ordinal Theory Framework. On top of this, Web3 developer Domo created the BRC20 Bitcoin token standard in March 2023, employing both ordinals and inscriptions to create and manage token contracts, token minting, and token transfers on Bitcoin. Since then, over 8 million Bitcoin ordinals have been minted, along with 24,677 BRC20 tokens created, boasting a total market cap of $612.5 million. On May 20th, cryptocurrency exchange OKX announced the listing of the ordinals BRC20 token <clears throat> with a market cap of over $300 million. Uh, so again, uh, uh, the... Daily inscriptions have dropped significantly um, since peaking um, in the middle of April, but they're definitely up an awful lot from March. Uh, and, uh, you know, while a lot of people in Bitcoin don't like it, uh, you know, it's a use case. It's um, basically doing what the Ethereum network does, only um, in a more secure uh, foundation. Um, and it um, is helping adoption. So uh, if they're willing to pay the mining fees, um, bless them. All right, next up uh, is, this is from Bitcoin.com. This was updated today, article entitled, Renowned Investor Jim Rogers warns US dollars time is, quote, coming to an end as countries seek alternatives. Famed investor Jim Rogers shared why he expects the U.S. dollar to lose its status as the world's reserve currency in an interview with Sputnik, published Wednesday. Rogers is George Soros' former business partner who co-founded the Quantum Fund and Soros Fund Management. Many friends in America are moving, trying to find something to compete with and ultimately replace the U.S. dollar. It will happen. It has always happened. The famous investor began. He was quoted as saying, America's time is coming to an end. The American dollar's time is coming to an end. He explained that the dominance of the U.S. dollar will inevitably decline since no currency has been on top for more than 150 years. Reiterating that nobody has always been on top, so it's always happened. He pointed out that people have moved away from whatever currency it is. Rogers proceeded to detail the reasons why countries are increasingly moving away from the U.S. dollar. The first reason is that the U.S. is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. Many people are starting to say, wait a minute, I don't know if we want to use that money because it will have a problem someday, he said. His remarks coincided with the U.S. grappling with a debt crisis that could lead to a default on its debt obligations as early as June 1st. Some have warned that the, a U.S. default could spark a global financial crisis. 
Another major reason Rogers mentioned concerns sanctions. The U.S. and its allies have imposed severe sanctions on Russia in response to its invasion of Ukraine. With the most recent round of sanctions announced on Friday, reiterating his previous warning regarding the weaponization of the U.S. dollar, Rogers described, The world's international currency is supposed to be completely neutral. Anybody can use it for anything you want to, but now Washington is changing the rules, and if they get angry at you, they cut you off. He added that the imposition of U.S. sanctions on Russia has expedited the process of de-dollarization, stating, even America's friends are worried that something could happen to them, and so the world is moving more rapidly. While emphasizing that the world is trying to accelerate its move away from the U.S. dollar, and many countries are trying to find a U.S. dollar alternative, Rogers said, so far the world hasn't found something to replace or even compete with the dollar. Commenting on whether the Chinese yuan could become the world's dominant currency, he said, the Chinese currency, sure, you would think, but the Chinese don't let you buy and sell the currency. It's not completely converted. One of the initiatives aimed at challenging the U.S. dollar's dominance is the proposed BRICS currency. The BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, are collaborating to establish a common currency that would reduce their dependence on the U.S. dollar. The leaders of the BRICS countries are set to discuss this proposal during their upcoming summit in August. The potential success of a BRICS currency is widely seen as a factor that could undermine the dominance of the U.S. dollar. A growing number of countries are following the BRICS de-dollarization lead, including Indonesia and Venezuela. Ten Southeast Asian countries also recently agreed to encourage the use of national currencies in an effort to reduce their reliance on the U.S. dollar and other Western financial systems. Um, and I tend to agree, and uh, I think that's why you want to own uh, gold, silver, Bitcoin, um, hard assets in your portfolio. Uh, don't know if it's going to come in 10 years or 20 years or two months. <laughs> Hopefully it's a slow transition and not a, uh, and not a rapid one because rapid one would be, would be really ugly. And then uh, finally, I want to read an opinion piece here from Coindesk. Uh, this is from uh, authored by David Z. Morris. Uh, was published on May seventeenth. What does the debt limit showdown mean for Bitcoin? So I thought this would be kind of an interesting one to finish up on. U.S. lawmakers are currently locked in a passionate, high stakes, and entirely ridiculous battle over a strange quirk in U.S. law known as the debt ceiling. Since 1917, the U.S. budget appropriations process has separated the actual budget, which members of Congress have already approved, from the government's ability to sell bonds to pay for it. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said that if new debt isn't approved by June 1st, the U.S. government could default on its financial obligations, including halting the payment of interest on Treasury bonds. This unusual process has become a very appealing tool for a theatrical, media-friendly form of politicking, with increasing frequency over the past three decades, fiscal conservatives have used the vote to raise the debt ceiling as an opportunity to agitate for lower spending. It makes for good TV with a looming deadline and frantic deal-making, but none of the political uh, risk of negotiating over specific elements of the U.S. budget. For all of its ultimate hollowness, the debt ceiling show 
has real consequences in the traditional finance sector, most notably raising the cost of borrowing for everyone. Longer term, repeated debt ceiling standoffs have more systemic impacts on the U.S.'s standing as a pillar of global finance. Most serious people regard the so-called showdown over the debt ceiling as pure political theater. First, because the legislators purportedly taking a bold stance against spending have already voted in favor of that spending. And second, because the consequences of actually defaulting on the U.S. national debt would be so incomprehensibly catastrophic that economists and the like can hardly conceive any lawmaker would actually follow through on the threat. That theory is less reassuring when you realize that some of the loudest voices in the debt ceiling showdown come from the House Freedom Caucus, a coterie of far-right populists who seem to think defaulting on the U.S. debt would be incredibly based. That reality is leading Democrats to try to cut deals with more restrained Republican factions, including House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, a politically fragile leader who needs protection from his own right wing. It's still very unlikely that the U.S. defaults on the national debt, but if it does, the price of Bitcoin is going to be far down the list of almost anyone's concerns. Janet Yellen was downplaying it when she described the consequences as severe hardship for American families. A U.S. default would trigger the domestic equivalent of a nuclear carpet bombing. And just as with a barrage of nukes, the damage would come in two stages. The initial impact would include the interruption of all sorts of government payments, potentially anything from Social Security checks to big money military contracts. This would cause an immediate sharp drop in traditional metrics like GDP and the stock market. Given recent evidence of strong correlation between Bitcoin and tech equities, it would almost certainly gut Bitcoin's short-term price too. The default is again a remote possibility, but its potential impact is so huge, even that slim chance is already being reflected in markets. The yield on 10-year and 30-year U.S. Treasury bonds is already inching up, reflecting increased risk of holding them. The Dow Jones Industrial Average and Bitcoin have both limped downwards over the last two weeks, though other uncertainties in the market make it hard to connect those moves directly to the debt showdown. But the second stage of the economic doomsday triggered by a default would be more complex and persistent, just as deadly as the invisible radiation that lingers after a mushroom cloud drifts away. A U.S. debt default would dramatically reshape the global financial system in ways that would be likely to increase Bitcoin's role as a global financial infrastructure. This is another example of Bitcoin's role as a theoretical hedge against a disaster scenario of something that's good for Bitcoin precisely because it's very bad for human society. A U.S. default would first and foremost decimate international appetite for holding U.S. debt. That would spike the cost of servicing existing debt, likely forcing the U.S. into a brutal austerity regime. That in turn would slow the entire global economy dramatically, another downward pressure on Bitcoin. But by the same token, U.S. default would accelerate international efforts to decouple from the U.S. dollar as a trade and investment instrument. The dollar's biggest appeal is its strength and stability, and a default would obviously harm that faith. Saudi Arabia, Russia, and China have all made significant recent gestures toward getting the key oil trade off the dollar. But a default could push those efforts from rhetoric closer to reality. This anxiety would be very likely to create at least some added marginal demand for Bitcoin as an international trade instrument. But as the cartoon rabbit says, that's not all, folks. When I and others sneer at the debt ceiling standoff as pure theater, it's not because we disagree with the nominal goal of reducing government spending. Rather, the gripe is that a semi-annual debt ceiling standoff is a very bad way of pursuing fiscal responsibility.
That's unacceptable, exactly because debts and deficits are such deadly serious issues, not just in the U.S., but around the world. In the U.S., a staggering 7% of federal spending goes to servicing debt. Those taxpayer dollars are no longer doing anything to strengthen the economy or improve the lives of its citizens. And every time we run an annual budget deficit, that spending on debt service goes up. We're clearly on an unsustainable path, but so is everyone else. Global national debt levels now sit at 102% of GDP, an all-time record that is just above the roughly 100% debt-to-GDP ratio that is considered sustainable for an individual country. This has led to increasing worry about what some have called a Great Reset, a cascading series of interlocking national defaults that wipes out debt holders at a huge scale. Because national debt makes up such a huge portion of the assets on global balance sheets, the impacts would be catastrophic, and instability in the U.S. debt market is as likely to set off the cascade as anything else. This scenario is part of a much broader case for Bitcoin's ascendancy as a global reserve and trade instrument, setting aside for the moment very real technical limitations. In an environment of rising defaults, Bitcoin's neutral monetary layer could very well form a significant backstop simply because it is unfettered from national debt risk. <clears throat> the U.S. net debt limit showdown in all its infantile ridiculousness highlights just how serious and unpredictable that risk is. And I would agree with this. In fact, uh, I was reading something this morning that was talking about if they if they do, which they, you know again whether they do or don't, that if they do solve the uh, debt ceiling and they pass something and increase it. Uh, the next thing that's going to happen is the Treasury is going to have to sell a bunch of bonds uh, to raise money to refill their their account so they can because it's running like it's almost out of money. And um, that's going to put a lot of Treasury bond supply on the market, um, which, uh, you know, if nobody buys it or there aren't buyers for it, uh, would cause rates to go up. And that that's actually... Um, uh, reduces liquidity and, uh, which would be, you know, bad for, for assets in general, definitely Bitcoin because Bitcoin tends to go up when liquidity goes up. Uh, but that situation might not last too long. Uh, the Fed will either have to step in to buy the bonds through quantitative easing, uh, whether or not they choose to lower interest rates or not. So, but there could be a short term, uh, you know, probably there could be a dip in the price of Bitcoin. But again, that's just an opportunity to buy some more cheap sats. So that's kind of how I look at it. And if you're already holding, you just keep on holding. And then uh, just lastly, just want to mention uh, the Substack this week. It's an article entitled Changing the Fiat Mindset. We need to think differently as fiat currencies decline and Bitcoin rises. So check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. And I will also in the notes put links to all the articles that I went over if you want to read them yourself. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I am on uh, Fountain, so you can earn sats just for listening. You get like 60 sats a day, uh, although sometimes it's more and sometimes it's zero. It's kind of random. Uh, you can also follow my Substack. It's uh, at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>